you are listening to the Flash F1 podcast with Gil and Mark. Welcome to Flash F1, listeners and flashers around the world. This is the Canadian podcast that brings you excitement, fun and crazy with Formula One races, news and gossip. We've had a roller coaster year with this F1 season and this Flash F1 podcast of ours. We hope you've enjoyed listening to us deliver our ideas and opinions. Mark? I can't believe we finished a whole season. And it's so funny because people at work keep asking, he's like, are you guys still doing that thing? I'm like, <laughs> dude, we're almost 30 episodes deep into this. Like, I don't think there's any giving up now. And it's funny because you and I always talked about the fact that season one was kind of a warm up, a practice. Yes. Um, and, and I think that it probably is. And we'll kind of really rump up or ramp up, ramp up the marketing and the excitement for for season two and we'll spend the off season getting ready and really planning a structure but honestly man like given where we started back in march and the quality of the first few podcasts yeah. to where we are now I, I couldn't be happier and um i i can't i can't thank you enough for the commitment that you made to this podcast so for listeners uh to give you a little bit of context typically we record in the studio at my place but i live a solid hour from gill so oftentimes it means hey races we're up at five watch the race <laughs> race is done gill gets in his car he treks across the city we bang out the podcast he heads home i start editing and it's been like like that for probably 25 30 podcasts now so thank you and a big thank you obviously to all of our listeners for your ongoing support um our listeners back and input and totally everything too. Our, our listenership has exploded throughout the season but what we want and what we've had some really good feedback lately is more and more feedback and input on how we can improve the podcast so i can't believe it man we we did a year it's crazy yeah this season's been uh really crazy and it's been really quick so it was good. It's good. Let me let me ask you a question, and this is kind of on the spot, but what was your, you think about the season, the craziness that was, was Germany, you, you think about Hamilton's sixth title, you, you think about what we saw in Brazil in the last 15 minutes of that race. If you look back on the season, what to you is the defining moment of the year? What was your favorite moment of the year? My favorite moment, um, that's hard to say, like, you know, Hamilton winning, obviously, he's a totally. he's, he's our champion. We're yep, a big I fan totally of, of Hamilton's. The things that stick out to me, the three things that stick out to me are how impressed I am by McLaren this year yeah. when I was ragging Good on one. them about, Good you one. know, they, they've, they've really, like, shown up to the party this year. Yeah. Um, the other one would be Ferrari and the the kind of like just dismemberment of the team and just the craziness between Vettel and and uh, Leclerc and the fact that their new team principal seemed really hapless throughout all of this just the drama on track off track drama just seemed to be never ending and Ferrari always seemed to be tripping over themselves even when they win uh, three races in a row they're still tripping over each other yeah Yeah. and uh, the lackluster for me the last one would be of uh, Racing Point yeah you know we were a Canadian podcast we want to support the Canadians Stroll has been a bit, uh, you know, wishy-washy, but um, for our podcast, aside from the Formula One season, our podcast, you know, our highlights with uh, talking with Nicholas Latifi, with Tim Haraney, the special podcasts, and uh, just a lot of the stuff that we've talked to and joked about throughout the the podcast. That's that's what this whole season, this whole year has been about for me. You you nailed something that I, I don't think probably got enough 
press this year, which was the success of McLaren. And McLaren's been in this weird position where they had that really, really terrible run with the Honda engines. They they had the relationship. They went their separate ways. And to be honest, I think you and I have probably talked about this a lot more than you've probably heard on other podcasts or in the media, but they go their separate ways. Um, McLaren teams up with Renault, um, as it turns out, short term, because they're going to switch back to Mercedes in 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, this year will be the last with Renault. But they bring in a couple of young drivers in Sainz and Norris. They Those two seem super tight. Like they're, they're joking together. They're having fun together. They genuinely enjoy being teammates. Sainz is mockingly like the older brother in that relationship, but that's great to see. But yeah, they've had a, a really great season on, on the flip side. I think I'm pretty disappointed with racing point. I think obviously they were kind of behind the mark a little bit this year when they came out with the 2018 car at the beginning of 2019. And they were having to do a lot of development throughout the season. I think Sergio Perez had a good year. I think Lance Stroll really, I don't know if you can take a step back after that atrocious 2018 season with Williams, but you look at the qualifying, and I sent you that that Instagram graphic the other day, but Perez out-qualified Stroll 18-3. to three. Like, I don't know that that's acceptable under any circumstance. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. But yeah. with the beginning of the season with uh, Stroll's dad taking over the team and yeah. how the expectation for Stroll is going to be so high. It was just, again, a little wishy-washy for me. Yeah, I, I agree. And if you take out Stroll's fourth place pre- pre- or finish in Germany, like, I, I don't know. I don't think he's even the double digits. I think he scores maybe four or five points this season because he picked up so many in that one race. And had Sergio not crashed out on the first lap, then he may have raked in some points at that race too. But I just think it was a really poor year for Stroll. And I get it. It's a development year. It's kind of a, a year of incremental development for that team. So I, I'm I, I, I'm hoping that from the fans and the media perspective that there's a lot of pressure on Stroll going into 2020 that, hey, look, you've been with this team now for a year. You've been with the mechanics. You've been with the engineers. Like, you got to start performing and doing what Sergio Perez does because you have all of the same resources, if not more than than he does. But maybe we should quickly recap the final race of the season. Yeah, definitely. Go for it. Abu Dhabi, uh, Hamilton takes pole. Pretty much walks through this race. It yeah. was an exciting race with maybe one exception. He finishes first. Max finishes second. Uh, Charles Leclerc finishes third. And maybe not a surprise that Bottas finishes fourth, but oh, great it's race how he him. got there. Yeah. We'll talk about it. Why was it a great race for him? Well, he ended up, uh, I think, in what last place? So yep. start starting the because he took a series up. of penalties. Yeah. Start basically starts at the back of the grid. And right from the first lap, starts carving through the field, which yeah, is crazy. Yeah, I think he already moved up right after the the lights went out. He already moved up four places. Yeah, he he just he just ripped the field apart. So I think if there was anything that was exciting about this race is was there going to be enough laps left for Bottas to put the pressure on Leclerc to maybe get a podium? But twentieth to fourth, that was that was a great story. Yeah, but other than that, there wasn't a lot of kind of ex- exciting narratives coming out yeah, of this Yeah, Hamilton's already won the championship. You know, kudos to him for also winning the race. Uh, it's a great race. He's always done well uh, at this Abu Dhabi track. So why don't you talk about the Abu Dhabi track? You've been there, Mark, haven't you? Yeah, so I- I've been lucky, and, and my wife and I are planning to go back again this year for 2020. But we've had the we've had the good fortune of being able to go to the heartland of Formula thanks, One. Thanks for inviting me. To, yeah, so yeah. you and I are working on some things. Okay. Like, if not Canada, Austin. <laughs> yeah. We've made that commitment. Yeah. Um, but we're... Uh, we're planning to go again this year, but I, I've had the good fortune of going to Silverstone. I've had the good fortune of going to Yas Marina. And and I think the best way to describe this is that a lot of our listeners have probably experienced Canada. They've experienced Austin. Maybe they've been to Italy. Maybe they've been to Silverstone. I, I think the one thing that really sets this track apart and everything sets it apart is it feels 
more like a theme park than it does a racetrack. Like when I've been to MotoGP and I've been to Formula One, you you get into the the gates, you walk into these venues. It's a lot of aluminum grandstands. It's a lot of gravel, a lot of dirt, a lot of dust, a lot of noise. But you go there, you pack your lunch, you bring your camera, you go and have a fun time. You you get. In a lot of these tracks, there's a lot of drinking going on. So again, it's really just about the atmosphere as much as it is anything and being with friends. But when you go to Yoss Island, and to kind of back this up a little bit, Yoss Island is just on the north side of Abu Dhabi. And Abu Dhabi is in the United Arab Emirates, which is a country in the Persian Gulf. Um, it's a ridiculously wealthy country. It has two major cities, Dubai and Abu Dhabi. They're separated by about an hour of driving, 100 and 120 kilometers, uh, Dubai to the north. Uh, Yoss Island is on the north side of... Abu Dhabi, and it's principally borderline reclaimed slash land that's been carved out of the mainland and turned into kind of an entertainment super complex. There's a huge shopping mall there. Ferrari World theme park is there. Warner Brothers theme park is there. There's water parks. There's golf courses. There's luxury hotels. Um, everything that you could imagine. But the Yas Marina circuit is also there. And the Yas Marina circuit was developed and built from the ground up to be a luxury experience. So when I talk about all these other tracks being dirty and dusty and gravel and dirt um, and noise and filth, this track is the complete opposite. It's luxury from the minute you walk in the gate to the minute you take your seat. It's spotless. It's clean. It's luxurious. Uh, the quality of the amenities, the quality of the food, everything is just next level. So it's a totally different experience. Now, the racing at this track isn't particularly exciting, but as a fan, the quality of the amenities, whether it's the permanent grandstands, the permanent seating, the food, the, um, the amenities in the immediate area, because that's the other thing about a lot of the F1 tracks is they're often built far outside of major metropolitan areas. Like sometimes you're trekking hours into the countryside to get to them. Silverstone, for example, you know what? It's it's largely in the middle of nowhere. There's no hotels in the area. There's no theme parks, no complex. This park within walking distance is Yas Mall, Ferrari World, Warner Brothers World. It's just surrounded by different venues and amenities. And of course, when you're there on the race weekend, they typically line up a bunch of concerts. So during the day, you're at the track for practice or qualifying. As soon as the track's over, you get shuttled over to concerts and things like that. So it's really, 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 really spectacular. We loved it. The only tricky is the track doesn't make for great racing. It looks brilliant on TV. It looks freaking amazing on Xbox. It just doesn't translate. <laughs> <laughs> into great racing so i love it i can't wait to go again but it is very very different than the atmosphere and experience you'd have at other tracks it also seats fewer spectators so it, it's principally permanent seating it seats about sixty thousand. uh it's largely people that have flown in from europe um, or expats from europe that live in the uae working uh, so the atmosphere isn't crazy and it's pretty diverse pretty mixed not something that you would experience if you were in italy or france or Holland or the UK, but still pretty cool overall. Yeah, well, like you mentioned, you know, with this part of the area being so rich, everything's yeah. been man-made. All yeah. the buildings, everything around. Buildings the, are uh, usually man-made. Yes, true. But I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> like everything was there was a purpose. Like this yeah. whole area was yeah. with with the wealth and the richness and the money in it that was carved area. Carved out of nothing. Exactly. Carved out you of know, nothing. you went from like sand to a full entertainment destination totally. point specifically for totally. this track and what everything else there Th is meant to 13 be. 14 years ago this was literally yep. and this isn't meant to be uh disingenuous or disservice but it was sand and yep. 14 years later it's this absolutely entertainment mecca shopping formula one theme parks water parks golf luxury hotels beaches it's amazing so 
it's it's pretty cool and it was a pretty cool experience for us it works because my my wife has family in the region so it's a good tie up to be able to see family and kind of tie this in at the same time um, and if you get your early bird tickets early enough it's it, the pricing's not it's not bad. It's certainly comparable with Europe because Europe has some pretty crazy ticket prices. But overall, I love it. Uh, Hamilton won the race. He's been pretty consistent at this track. Uh, I had the good fortune of seeing him win there in 2016. Unfortunately, he lost the title in that race to Rosberg. So that that's a, that's a memory <laughs> that I, I certainly have. But overall, it was a great race for Hamilton. He takes pole. He wins from pole. There was never any question that he was going to win it. He ultimately finishes the season with 413 drivers championship points uh second in the standings this year was Valtteri Bottas at 326 Max Verstappen finished third at 278 points and Charles Leclerc finished at 264 and Sebastian Vettel finished at 240 yeah yeah, with his single race win so maybe maybe we can jump into uh something that came up over the race weekend and for those of you that are new to the sport and I feel like I say that quite a lot um Lewis Hamilton has been part of the Mercedes team now since 2013. He's won five titles with them. He's as much a a part of their identity and a part of their DNA as uh, really anything you could imagine. But there's always been speculation about the fact that Hamilton maybe is potentially one day linked to Ferrari. That if he wants to go down as the greatest racer of all time, it would be amazing if he could go to a third team and win a third title. And I think people have always been very dismissive of that. But over the last two weeks, the rumors have completely exploded. They've gone from Hamilton not being willing to talk about his future in any great detail other than the fact that he's happy with his situation to the fact that now, now he's Char- open yeah he, he's, he's open he's, to- he's openly talking about it the ferrari team is openly talking about yeah. it charles leclerc is being asked about it and is talking about it mercedes is now being put on the defensive because they're being asked about yep. it hamilton's got one year left on his deal and sebastian vettel has one year left on his deal and i don't think anybody i don't think anyone is expecting ferrari to renew that deal your thoughts on this? Because we this is yeah. this is we talk about water cooler talk. Yeah, this is big time water cooler. Yeah, talk. we haven't discussed this yet uh, ahead of, ahead of this podcast because we've been kind of saving it to actually talk now about yeah. it on the podcast. And I've had got a lot to say about it since I've been reading a lot about the Ferrari asks of Hamilton and his contract being up and the potential for him to move over to Ferrari. My opinion on this is. Right now, it's talks. This is in the wind. This is something that Ferrari is praying and hoping for them will happen because it'll only benefit them. For Hamilton, I see it as he has nothing to prove. He's already won six championships. What good does it do him in his career to take a risk in going to Ferrari when he knows he's got a sure thing with Mercedes? So if it ain't broke, like why why change it? So why go to Ferrari and take the chance of you know, them not providing you with a good car, the team being kind of all over the place when you look at this season with Leclerc and with um, with with Vettel that, you know, when he comes in, if and, if and when or if he does come into Ferrari, is any of that going to change? And again, for, for Ferrari, that's only going to benefit them from, for having a a driver like Hamilton come, in, come into their team. But for, for Hamilton, I don't think there's a, a benefit to him to move over to Ferrari like he has nothing to prove what what was he going to say like oh I won a championship with Ferrari like just yes yeah finish yes Yes. that's exactly it but you look look at Ferrari's reputation the last few seasons right it's you know it's not like it's uh anything to you know write home about so Hamilton if he sticks with the one more year contract or the 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 team that he's currently on before they change to the 2021 new regulations just 
bank it with Mercedes and then after that do what you want like he's in his mid-30s now they're talking about retirement for him in the next three four five years he's still a young guy he you know if he can he's the, the skill if he's still got the skill and the reflexes he could he can easily win more championships in the next four to five years if if Hamilton was racing with Ferrari over the last five years would he have won a title there I don't think so. You don't? I don't think really? so. Really? <clears throat> no. See, I, I don't know that he would have won five, but I have no doubt in my mind that he would have won Look a at, title. Ferrari's got Vettel. He's a champion. He's a, a, a championship a driver already, right? So he's got skills. Him and him and Hamilton have had battles. Okay, so Vettel is not a Hamilton, but I don't think that if Hamilton was with Ferrari, that Ferrari could have delivered to Hamilton a, a championship car. I'm not saying that Hamilton wouldn't have been a good driver. He probably would have driven the same as he would to, for Ferrari as he w- did with Mercedes. But I, I don't think with what we've seen in the last few years that if he had been with Ferrari that he would have had a championship car to, to compete in. Okay, so I get your position and your argument is that Hamilton has more to lose by going to Ferrari yes. than by staying with Mercedes. Yes. But as a fan, mm-hmm. so let's say he let's say he locks in title number seven this season, 2020, his fin- final year with the current regulations, final year under this contract, and then he goes to Ferrari. Like as a fan, would you be excited to see that happen? No, really? Yeah, no, not at all. Gosh darn it! I, I'm I'm all about the sure thing. Why roll the dice going to Ferrari? Yes, okay. You know what? The only thing that Ferrari and the no, rest, I appreciate. We have yeah. a difference of opinion. And for the, once. the only thing that um, I can say with like Ferrari and all the other teams for 2021 is that it's a clean slate. Everyone's starting fresh again with the new rules, yep. regulations, cars. Even though that's the case for the Formula One rules and regulations, is the Ferrari team again still going to be able to rebuild or start from scratch or deliver, knowing that? Uh, you know, Benotto is the, the the team principal. If they've got the same teams, like sure. you know, if you're working with the same ingredients, is it really going to come out any different? Yeah, that's that's interesting. So, I I, I agree with you a little bit. And, and my sense is, so this is one of the things. Again, if you're new to Formula One, one of the things that may throw you off is that drivers will often sign new contracts with new teams before their current deal is signed. So it's not unusual sometimes for a driver to finish a season with Team A sign a contract with team B and then switch in the off season. So it wouldn't be unheard of for Hamilton at some point over the next six to 12 months to actually sign a deal with another team while he's still driving for his current team. So that's not unheard of. I think there's something, I think there's something to the point you have about the leadership in the Mercedes team. Like when you talk about, when you talk about uh, Hamilton's race engineer, uh, who's been in the sport and surrounded by champions his entire career. When you talk about Total Wolf, when yeah, you talk coaching, about his coaching, his mentorship, leadership, yeah. absolutely. With Nicky like, Lauder, the past, you the know, stability yeah. is there. <clears throat> yeah. And with Ferrari, that's a gamble. You're right. Because I, I don't know what you're working with there, especially because Hamilton brings a new dimension to to the racing. And, and you're right, like Mattia Bonotto, like the reality is he struggled to keep those two drivers in check. And and I know Charles Leclerc has expressed some, some happiness about the potential idea of partnering because I get the sense that the Ferrari team is resigned to the idea that Vettel's not coming back or that they don't want him. But, uh, and, and I quote here, this is, this is Charles Leclerc. Um, of course I would welcome Lewis. We are an F1 and we want to fight against the best. I've had a big opportunity to have had Seb next to me, who was a four times world champion. I've learned a lot, a lot from him. So you can always learn from these types of champions. And then a, a quote here from Mattia Bonono, and this is kind of ballsy talking about a driver that's under contract with another team. Um, but he says here, ask whether he has interest in the British driver he said 
knowing that he's available in 2021 can only make us happy. So there's a couple of things here. It could be that the reality is Hamilton is only expressing interest because it's a really good negotiating tactic for, for Mercedes. Like, hey, look, I don't want them to know I'm a sure thing. And I want to make sure that I can leverage this contract situation for everything I can get out of it. And if I express some interest and if I go on a couple of dates with Ferrari, that's yep. only going to help my my <clears throat> negotiating position. Yep. It could also be that Ferrari's just trying to cause mayhem for for Mercedes by throwing a bunch of wrenches into the mechanics of that operation. But I would so I agree that I think the right thing for Hamilton is stay where where it works right now unless something catastrophic happens this year. But I would as a fan and I just got to get this out I think it would be phenomenal to be able to talk in the offseason next year about Hamilton going to the big red machine and what that could look like. Okay, well, that's great and all, but I'm going back to the Hamilton side of things. That's, that's great and all. You basically <laughs> dismiss everything I say. <laughs> no. So that's great and all, but listen to me. That's great. I'm looking at it on like going back to the Hamilton side of things. He's a championship driver, so it will benefit any team that offers Hamilton a seat True. with their team. So Hamilton's already the highest paid Formula One driver out there. Yeah. What team is not going to offer him again that salary or can afford to pay him that salary? No matter where he goes, he will still probably be the the highest paid Formula One driver if that team is going to uh, interest him in coming over to their team. Aside from the pay, what else is the team going to offer him? Like no matter where... Hamilton goes. He's a champion. He's going to be already highest paid. So what benefit or what's different for Hamilton for to jump over to Ferrari or any other team that's, you know, he's a champion. He's, he's going to already get paid big bucks. I see it one-sided where the team is the only one that benefits. You know, you roll the dice on Hamilton trying to win a championship for a, a struggling team or a team that's not Mercedes. Uh, I don't know. Uh, if I was Hamilton, I'd be like, you know what? Screw it. Just, you know, stay with Mercedes uh, you know, you're already you know top of the top of the top of the food chain. So there's whatever team is going to offer you anything. You're still going to be the highest paid. You're still going to be you know six-time world champ. Um, why 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 not finish your career on a high point as opposed to you know rolling the dice and you know see see what happens when you when you go with that team and who knows if you can recover from that down the road. So Hamilton's 34, and we we've seen drivers race. Not necessarily successfully past forty, but we've seen drivers in their their forties. Yeah, so so we've seen it. Like it's not unprecedented. So it's it's conceivable to think about Hamilton having another five years in the sport. I, I guess one of the questions then too is is Mercedes still in the sport in five years? Like as a corporation, as a company, they're they're making job cuts, they're tightening operations, they're beginning to focus on electric cars. And maybe at some point, suddenly Formula One doesn't look so attractive as a marketing exercise. And they're also investing really heavily in their Formula E team. So maybe they ultimately just make the transition there because Formula E is a heck of a lot cheaper than the the Formula One construct. But I, I, I still think it would be exciting to see. And, and I get it. Like Hamilton can have a couple of dates with Ferrari this season kind of use that as a negotiating ploy with Mercedes. Like, hey, look, I'm comfortable making that switch and you need to know I'm comfortable making that switch. Uh, there's there's an interesting quote here from Total Wolf as well. So this is from a, a great article from ESPN that was written by Lawrence Edmonds. Um, and I got to give ESPN some props. Their Formula One coverage, at least on ESPN.com, is getting tighter and tighter. And that's probably in large part because of the fact that they're carrying 
for free, they're carrying the Formula One content, the Formula One races in the U.S. But according to Toto Wolff, and this is this quote is kind of regarding his relationship with with Lewis. But we have started this Mercedes journey together in 2013, and over these seven years, I think the trust between us has grown and has been a contributing factor to our success. He said, "Of course, from a personal level, we both want to know what the other one does. Equally, there are so many other team members, contributors to the performance that are equally as important as Lewis or myself." So he's kind of saying, like, "Hey, look, we've built a lot of trust over the." last seven years um we've had a lot of success for the last seven years but at the same time he's kind of saying we're not the only ones contributing to the success of the organization so maybe total wolf is kind of bracing himself for a potential move as well but ultimately this year is going to be exciting because hamilton's going to be chasing number seven which is a meaningful title because he could potentially tie michael schumacher's uh championship lead yeah best to do it now before sorry best to do it now before the whole changeover for 2021. For me, he has to do it now because you made that great point and we've talked about it in the past. Like, We have no idea what happens in 2021. For all we know, Racing Point or Alfa Romeo or Williams or or some Ferrari, like Ferrari, maybe they just jump out just because they've got the arrow down earlier than the other Mm -hmm. teams and everyone else has to play catch up for a year or two. You're right. Like in my mind, with this dominance that Ferrari has, he has to win the season. Yeah. He's got to win this season. To you mean Mercedes? You mean Mercedes? Mercedes yeah. has got to win that. He's yeah. got to win. Mercedes has got to win this season. Yeah. And I also think, to be totally honest, if he doesn't win this season, I think it makes it even harder for Mercedes to re-sign him. Like it would almost be easier for him to leave if they don't win, and then they go into this the new regulations. Like I feel like if he wanted to leave, and he has he and the team have a down year, they miss the drivers, they miss the constructors. That's the time when it's easy enough for him to walk away. So. Yeah. Any other thoughts on on Lewis, our no, I thirty four year old idol? <laughs> I think he's great. You know, I I think he's still got a, a several more years left in him. Uh, he's you know great to adapt to you know yeah. anything and everything that's been thrown at him. So we'll see what happens in twenty twenty one. I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan forever, but I just don't want to see him in the latter half of his career start to go down or start chasing back up the ladder. So if he's on a high point right now, why not just stick with it and maybe that's the risk too right like you made that point if he if he was to go to ferrari the risk is he goes into a team that is significantly more disorganized than he's used to and conditioned to at mercedes like mercedes is just this fine-tuned machine and everything just works his relationship with bottas is really solid i don't think there's any expectations from bottas or the team that hamilton is other than the number one driver the a driver but if he goes into mercedes or if he goes into ferrari there's that immediate tension with him and leclerc because leclerc i think is if it's not said openly now i think it's generally understood within the ferrari team and the factory that leclerc is the driver of the future and he is their number one driver all of a sudden there's that there would be that tension between Hamilton and Leclerc about who's the number one driver. Hamilton would have to learn new engineers. He would have to learn new mechanics. He'd have to learn a new team. He'd have to learn a new engine. And that's another thought too is Hamilton's been with two different teams, McLaren and Mercedes, mm-hmm. but he's only ever driven a Mercedes-powered car. Correct. So now he would be in a Ferrari-powered car, which would be a new element to him as well. Yeah, and Ferrari for this season, you know, I was hopeful, but they didn't really show me anything to kind of change my mind. They had Leclerc in. They were, they were talking about all this new aerodynamics and all this stuff, but the whole thing with team orders and between the relationship and the coaching between Vettel and Leclerc, didn't really do anything for me this year. Uh, early in the season or start of the season, uh, that's where all the hype was about. And Leclerc had a few high points. And then the latter, the second half of the season really didn't do anything for me with Ferrari. It just kind of 
kind of disappointed me. So I, I, I was really hopeful that Ferrari was going to do something with it this year, but um, yeah, nothing. I totally agree. So Total Wolf believes there is a 75% chance, according to ESPN, that he's going to be able to retain Lewis. Thinks there's a 25% chance he's going to leave. I would probably say the same thing, probably 75, 25, what do yep. you think? Yep, yeah, I'm the same way as well. Yeah. Like I said, uh, one more year, uh, just stick with it. 7525. Cool. It's funny how we kind of, without any announcement, we kind of just migrated into our news and gossip. But exactly. I think, I think that's how these things kind of roll. <laughs> uh, I think the next one here is we know that next season is going to be crazy with the number of races. It's going to be 22 races next year. We've never seen anything like that. Um, we lose Germany from the calendar, but we pick up Vietnam and we pick up Zandavort. Yeah. We're, exci- we're both super excited to see Vietnam. We're both super excited to see Zandavort. But what this has meant is that the sport, and they're doing this partly because the schedule is compressed, Mm -hmm. but also partly as a method of making the sport more economical. They've restructured the in-season testing. So historically teams have the opportunity to have some official sanctioned in-season testing dates, but they also always do two four-day pre-season testing sessions. So during the winter, the teams build their cars, they run them through, uh, fluid simulators and the computers they yeah. run them through the tunnels they do all kinds of tests yeah. but it's really not until preseason testing which this that, year i believe was in spain or something yeah, like that. It's typi- it, yeah typically in spain although a couple of years ago they actually encountered a little bit of snow but they're no longer doing four they're no longer doing two four-day testing sessions this year and it's funny because i heard nicholas latifi talking about it this recently this year they're only doing two three-day winter tests the first is going to be run from February 19th to 21st, and then the next is the next week, the 26th to the 28th, with a four-day gap in between. So they're actually compressing them. So historically, the teams would get eight days of winter preseason testing. This year, they're only getting six. And they've also done away with the in-season testing dates, which would normally happen after Bahrain and Spain. So they're taking away... And I don't know if it's more advantageous to the small teams or the big teams, but for the sake of cost savings and because of the fact that they're adding extra dates to the calendar, they've done away with quite a bit of testing. So, yeah, well, I think next season is going to be a bit crazy, as you know, like you said, with the uh, the amount of uh, races for next season, the new tracks, yeah, um, the 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 shakeup with you know potential mix up of new drivers. Uh, yeah, we'll see what we'll see what happens then. Yeah, just imagine next season. Next season starts obviously we we always start in Australia. We start in Melbourne March 15th, which seems early, it's probably not. Two a week later, we're in Bahrain, so within one week. So by the end of March, we're two races deep, which is crazy. And then the third race of the season is in Hanoi, Vietnam. So we're both excited to see that. That's going to be a hybrid purpose-built track and street track, which we're, we'll talk a little bit about that later, but we're both excited to see. Um, another story, and, and it's interesting because you and I were talking about this earlier. Last year, we saw three drivers graduate from Formula 2 to Formula 1. We saw George Russell make the move. He's the Mercedes Academy driver. He made the move to Williams. Mm-hmm. We saw... Uh, Norris make the move to McLaren, McLaren yep. and we saw Alex Albon make the move to Toro Rosso and then eventually into to Red Bull. Red Bull. Yeah. Um, kind of interesting. This year, we're only seeing one driver graduate. And the interesting thing is it's not the Formula 2 champion. So Nick DeVries is the actual Formula 2 champion. He's making the move to Formula E. And interestingly, he's making the move to the Mercedes team. The only driver making the move or graduating from Formula 2 to Formula 1 this year is our boy. So um, Nicholas Latifi, who finished second in the championship, will be taking his position next to George Russell for Williams next year. I'm excited for that. As much as I knocked the Williams team for for how... uh, 
incompetent. Yeah, that that's kind a kind word to say. For, but they've been really in the back of the pack for you know majority yeah. of all the races in the season. They've had you know maybe a couple of mid pack uh, finishes, but. Um, with Nicholas Satifi and how we got to interview him and talk to him, um, it's really good for the Williams team to uh, to bring in that driver. And congratulations to Nicholas to uh, yeah. to moving in and making that move to Formula One. And we got to talk with him while he was in Formula Two, and you know got him before he was uh, into Formula One. So really happy for him, and I'm hoping that uh, his drive with with Williams uh, elevates that team and and the race and the championship. Yeah, it's gonna. Be- yeah. I'm 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 nervous because obviously one it's really interesting that 10% of the grid is going to be Canadian and yes. I think we talked about that last time but I I'm nervous about the fact that he's going to make his debut with that team and it's it's also tough because you, you'd almost want him to drive next to a really accomplished driver because even if it's not a great car, at least you know that accomplished driver is getting everything possible out of it, and your benchmark becomes the other driver. George Russell's still pretty young, yeah. and but to be fair, George, and now that I think about it, George Russell has also continually tested the Mercedes car, um, so maybe he is your benchmark, and maybe if you index well against George Russell, you're comparable in terms of time and and qualifying. Then then maybe you just hope that. Williams is getting enough data out of the cars to continue to develop and make them better. But I'm just nervous that he's going to go into a team that is not going to benefit him personally. Okay, that's, yeah, that's true. I I agree with that. I'm just looking at it as if I was like Nicholas TV, yay, I've made it to Formula One. You know, I've got a seat in the, you know, the the big table. Yeah. And he can just network from there. True. And, you you know, Williams is the starting point. But if he shows what, uh, you know, to other teams, what he's done in Formula Two in the Formula One Williams car, yeah. even if it improves it just by a small hairline, you know, the other the other teams would be like, hey, this is a driver that we could potentially sign for next season or wherever or whenever. And you got to think Rojan's seat's going to be available at some point. <laughs> <laughs> you got like Hulkenberg, he's made the move out of Formula One or been kind of pushed out of Formula Ro- One. Ro- Rojan's still in F one. Yeah. <laughs> So, so was Daniel Kvyat. And you know what? I don't dislike Kvyat, and I was I so yeah. happy for him because of his pole, or his pole, his podium in, yeah. in Germany. But I just, I look at how he was monstrously out-qualified this year at, at Toro Rosso by both at Albon originally and then Gasly on the back yeah. half of the season. So, so yeah. Um, other stuff we've got to talk about, and I thought this was kind of cute. A couple of... Gasly, Pierre Gasly, things to discuss as well. Um, there was a recent French radio interview that I, I haven't heard, but I've read about it in the media and I read about it on Reddit. But he made a quote that said, it's an honor to be the youngest French driver on an F1 podium, uh, which is the case. And I think we were both super ecstatic for him to yep. get that podium <laughs> in in Brazil, especially after the mid-season, uh, the mid-season, what do you call it? Um, I don't know, like demotion. Yeah, demotion swap. Yeah, or whatever. demotion. Yeah, um, even more so. He continues, even more so in a season where I've experienced injustice, which I presume is the demotion, uh, frustration, which is probably the same, and sadness, because of course he lost a very close friend in Formula Two this yes. year. Um, but I, I thought that was interesting, and it's been pretty well established now that. Christian Horner had been very clear to him going into the summer break that his seat was safe. And it's not like they'd kind of given him the heads up. By all accounts, it's not like they had given him the heads up and said, hey, look, you've performed questionably in the first half of the season. We're considering some moves. By all accounts, they were crystal clear with him that his his seat was was safe. safe. And then they kind of pulled it out from under him. Gave it to Albon. Gave it to Albon. 
And Elbon has is an interesting story himself, which we can talk about another day. But I thought that was interesting. But I thought the fact that he rallied himself and had a really strong second half of the season with Toro Rosso says a lot about him. Oh, of course, he's he's you know proving his worth. He's he's trying to show that you know you made a mistake swapping me out. But I think like we've said on the past podcasts that I like the risk that uh, Red Bull took in swapping Albon and Gasly. Uh, they had nothing to lose, everything to gain by you know putting another driver to see what they can do in the Red Bull vehicle. So that was her time to do it. And I don't, I, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah. So I completely. But agree. Uh, um, like I said, uh, I totally agree. Great for Gasly for doing what he had to do. Uh, that whole uh, Albon and Hamilton kind of crash up in that oh, race yeah. that kind of did that whole thing. But really, yeah, really good for Gasly. It's it's tough too because I, I was just looking at the final standings for the season. Gasly finished with ninety five points, and Albon finished with ninety two. But you're right; if not for the contact that Albon had with Hamilton, then yeah. I think that would have been flipped. But still, like you look at the back half of the season for Gasly, it wasn't terrible. Nine, he finished as ninth in Belgium, eleventh in Italy, eighth in Singapore, fourteenth in Russia, then a seventh place in Japan. He finishes ninth in Mexico, really tough finish in the U.S., and then a second place finish in Brazil. So he had some solid results. Although Alexander Albon, you look at the back half of his season, uh, 5, 6, 6, 5, 4, 5, 5, 14, and that was only because of the contact with yeah. Hamilton. Then he finished his 6. six yeah. like, he had a phenomenal back half yeah. of the season. So it's it's an interesting position for Red Bull to be in because you have Max and you have Albon on your A team, your primary team. Neither of them are probably going to go anywhere unless... So that's the other question we can get into as well is, does Max look at making the move to Ferrari after this season as well? And maybe he's a better fit even than Hamilton. But unless Max leaves, no one else is going to be able to join that team. So now you also have this really talented young French driver in Gasly with Toro Rosso. And maybe he's looking for an opportunity with another team. But that just makes me think about Daniel Kvyat. You look at Kvyat this season. He finished with 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 10 points finishes, 37 points. Not great, but obviously can't touch either Albon or or Gasly. Even when you talk about apples-to-apples apples comparisons when yeah. they're both in the same car. So, it's But I like Kvyat. You know, I'm 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 hopeful for him. So the I torpedo. Yeah, I like him. I yeah. like him. So I hope he doesn't go anywhere. I know we shared this video, and I don't know if our listeners have had the opportunity to see it, but there's this great video uh, from Abu Dhabi during testing after the race, where Gasly's out on the track. He's called into the pits by his team. He's called into the garages. He pulls in, and the garage door is closed, and there's nobody there. And he's basically <laughs> just sitting on the track while his team's hiding inside. And there's a point where he's you can, he's recorded on the radio saying guys where the beep are you and then he jokes about taking the car home since there's no one to take it from him but but it was kind of cute yeah your thoughts on Gasly the expectations from this year going into 2020 uh Gasly's still got some work to do had a had a great year I I great I, finish great, great finish, finish I'm yeah. sorry had a great finish um if he just sticks with it and I think he's learned a lot about himself this year um if he, I think you know he's still got uh, um, some things to prove to the team, and uh, we'll see where he ends up for next year. But I hope he doesn't go anywhere either. I think um, you know he can just go up from this, and uh, with I hope Red Bull Toro Rosso um, they recognize that and and kind of coach him or or, or uh, groom him into to being. Uh, a top racer, a top driver, just like with uh, the other members of the team. I certainly don't think Red Bull made a mistake, though, switching those drivers. Oh, no. When, I agree, when you like look you at out the back half of yeah. Albon's season, it's crazy. It is interesting, and I shared this once before, and it just comes to mind because we were talking about Nick DeVries and his move to Formula E. It was interesting how last season, 
uh, Albon was passed up for a F1 seat and he'd actually signed with a Formula E team and how sad he was knowing that that was effectively the end of his career because while a lot of drivers have made the switch from Formula One to Formula E, Sorokin, Felipe Massa, etc., drivers don't typically flip from Formula E to Formula One. So he felt like when he was making, he was making that, he was signing that Formula E deal. He find, kind of felt like he was signing his career way that this is it for me. <laughs> so he was ecstatic when he got the call from the Red Bull squad saying, "Hey, we've got a seat for you." So for him to go effectively from not getting an F1 seat to going to F to Formula E, then getting the call to Toro Rosso, then getting the call up to Red Bull is one yeah. hell of a one hell of a year for that young kid. Yeah, so I don't think uh, making that move is detrimental. With the way Formula One is going now and the way the cars and the technology, that, that t- transition, that that kind of mix between Formula One, Formula E, they're going to come to a, a crossing point at some point where there's going to be like a blurred line where Formula E and Formula One, it's not going to be a, one of those things where it's like, oh, I'm in this part of the of the you know the sport or i'm at this part of the sport i think uh, you know there's going to be a crossing point where it's not detrimental to a driver saying that oh i'm going to this type of sport i i couldn't agree and we haven't talked about this before but i think as the world becomes more and more environmentally conscious i think and of course formula one's doing a lot of things to become carbon neutral and to cut down on emissions and do things more efficiently and compress the schedule and compress the race weekends and things like that but i think there comes a point where for sponsors it's almost problematic to be associated with a sport that is is again the cars are fueled with with petroleum yeah. products with gasoline <clears throat> products mm-hmm. even though they're hybrids they're they're obviously still petroleum based cars like i think there's a point where 10 years from now, 15 years from now, where maybe that's almost unconscious, conscionable. I don't know if I'm using that word correctly, but I think it becomes less attractive for sponsors. But at the same time, I think the cars are going to become, there's going to be more and more electrification within the cars. And then maybe ultimately that, that, that line between Formula One and Formula E is blurred so much they yeah. almost become they almost become one and the same. They become the same circuit. Um, interestingly, in this kind of off topic, reading a lot about NASCAR recently, it looks like they're looking to add electrification to their cars, which I think is just the, the that, crazy, that's crazy the that's craziest crazy. thing ever. So you talk about the development and advancements of series. That's one of them. Um, maybe just a couple of other quick updates. We're both super excited about Vietnam in um, April. April, yeah, absolutely. What date in April? Uh, I don't know. April six. Something Third, like that, fourth, close fifth. like that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't remember. Something like that. So. We got we got to hear somewhere. No, right April fifth. Fifth. Yeah. Yeah. Keep guessing. Um, <laughs> but we're super excited about that one. This is an all new track. It's a hybrid kind of street and purpose-built track by all accounts the racing organizers say that they're 80 percent complete yeah the construction went up fast i, was, I, I, I was, can't i can't believe how quickly it happened i was talking about earlier this year when we heard about the vietnam track we're like they better get on it because it's like yeah it's like soon and they must have had a lot of people from the sweatshops come in working overnights and and building this track because like they're 80 percent, and i'm like season's coming up in a few months i'm like that's fast yeah in in its in its nuts too because at the beginning of the season, Formula One had done this great video where they basically took you on a ride around what the future track oh, yes. was going to be. Do you remember this? Yeah. And it was kind of cool because you got to see where it is. And now you see the photos from the track. The grandstands are going up. The pits are going up. They're tarmacking sections of the track. They're still making some tweets. And you and I were talking about this earlier. Like, I think they've added an extra turn. Yeah, tw- from uh, turn 23. And then I also, I think they widened it towards yeah. the end, end half. And looking at some of the topographical pictures... You know, they try to make it look like a Monaco or like the boot of Italy. Yeah. I don't know. It looks like a penis to me if you look at it. It's like that, that long stretch on the left-hand side. So there goes all of our listeners <laughs> in certain parts of the world. But again, I can't believe, and you're right, like there's probably something to be said about building this in 
a developing country where maybe the labor laws aren't quite as strict and maybe they're, you don't have to do environmental impact studies before you put a shovel in the ground. Like it's a little bit easier yeah. to get these infrastructure projects off the ground. But again, I'm excited to see what this looks like. It looks awesome. Um, and then finally, the other the other race that's yeah. joining the circus Zandavort. next year Zandvoort, the Dutch Grand Prix. Yeah. Um, May happening in May. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for contributing. I'm glad you did your glad you did your homework. That's right. It still seems a little bit early for that race. And this is a track that again, in full honesty, I don't know a ton about. Um, but it's it's a track that's basically built right on the edge of the ocean amongst sand dunes. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks very, very cool, but by all accounts, it is not a, it was not a FIA grade A track. And the promoters are doing extensive, extensive renovations to the grandstands, to the pits, to the garages, mm-hmm. to the media amenities, to the fan amenities, to the gates, to the security, resurfacing the track. Like they're putting a ton of work into yeah. this. And they're also having to bank, put in some pretty significant banks on a couple of the corners to contain the drivers and contain the racers. So a significant amount of work is ongoing there and at the same time i'm like i'm looking at these construction photos it's going to be tight to get yeah. this one done for me especially when they're building through the winter there yeah and looking through this material um jan lammers uh dutch grand prix sporting director he's saying that this is going to be like one of the most demanding and most beautiful circuits of all in the world like out of all the other that's that's a pretty pretty like big thing to say uh, for a tr- brand new track that you're building in comparison to a lot of the older tracks like a Silverstone, a, a Suzuka, uh, you know, to, to construct this track and say that this is going to be the, the top yeah. upper echelon track. Uh, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. And now hopefully that they, they live up to that, that quote. I'm excited to see the banked corners because that's not something that we, it's not something that we see a lot of in yeah. Formula One. We see a lot of flat, or we see maybe a lot of like uneven, like up and down or yep. hill. But the bank corners is something completely it's, it's different. It's pretty foreign to Formula One. And I think last time there was really a prominent bank in Formula One or bank corner was Indy when yep. they were racing at Indianapolis. And of course, we all know about the fiasco that was the 2005 Grand Prix. But but it's going to be interesting to see. So when I think he talks about it being demanding and he's talking about it being demanding on the drivers, I think that's really what he's speaking yeah. about. Um, by all accounts as well, that wind coming off the ocean is pretty common there if there's a lot of spring storms, early summer storms. And again, this is a May race on the ocean in the North Atlantic. I'm I'm excited to see what the track looks like and I'm excited to see what the racing looks like. By all accounts, it historically hasn't been a track that would promote a lot of passing but maybe a lot of this work is going to help promote it so again vietnam we're super pumped for they they're saying that it's going to be done before the end of the year which is a couple of weeks away which is crazy yeah they've still got a ton of work to do but by all accounts i don't think the promoters would have paid that race fee if they weren't confident that they were going to get it done and i think that's really uh really about it anything else you want to kind of touch on before we sign off today no i think we've uh you know brought up a lot of things that have happened in the last couple of weeks since the end of the abu dhabi race um, I just, you know, I think we're just going to continue doing a couple more podcasts till the end of the year yep. to kind of just, uh, you know, keep this going and uh, kind of, you know, keep the fans hearing our voices and uh, see see what other news comes down the pipe from Formula One that we can talk about before the next season. Uh, try to get uh, um, Sarah uh, on a podcast yep. and uh, deliver you know deliver her her voice uh, to to some of the Formula One news and the podcast. It's, it's crazy too, because I, I just had the realization that we're only like five weeks away from preseason testing. Yeah. Like it's, it's crazy. So 
you go out, you do prison testing, and then all of a sudden, all of the teams start introducing their cars over the course of a couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden, it's the beginning of March and all the cars are in containers on the way yeah. to, to Australia. And then the race season starts. And then it's 22 races. And the season is so long. Like we really talk about, if we look at next year's calendar, the first race is March 15th. Yeah. The last race is the 29th of November. Yeah. So if you talk about like the baseball season or football season or whatever, like their off seasons are really, really short. Well, I thought this year went by like it almost seemed like there was like a race every week, like the for the first yes, half. Because we were doing a podcast. Yeah, that's there was why. like so many races, like back to back, like week after yeah. week, and you know, aside from the the summer break, like it's been crazy. By all accounts, the sport is confident that they can do a twenty four or twenty four twenty four or twenty five race calendar. And I think you almost have to cut out all preseason testing. You've got to start in February. You got to finish in December. But by all accounts, that. The hope is that they get the sport to a point where they can run 24 or 25 events and kind of get into that NASCAR territory. And we talked about in that that podcast where we were talking about the economics of the sport mm-hmm. that a lot of the revenue that the sport still generates is based on hosting fees where a lot of sports make their money from TV money. Mm-hmm. Formula One is still very dependent on hosting fees. So it's in their interest to get more yeah. races onto the calendar. And of course, we know that at some point Miami is going to happen. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. I know we're, we're excited. You're especially excited yeah. about that. That's race number 23. Um, you, you talk about maybe getting another race into Asia. You yeah, talk- Philippines. Maybe they can race some tuk-tuks or whatever. What is a tuk-tuk? It's a little like a scooter slash, um, I don't know, Jeep kind of hybrid. So A yeah. scooter Jeep hybrid. Yeah. Okay, yeah. interesting. So maybe the Philippines. Yeah. I'm not, con- I'm not as confident <laughs> about the Philippines, but yeah, obviously they, they've got some, they've got some leads if they think they can do this and maybe they, eventually they get back into Africa as well. So yeah, that's, that's, that's all I got, homie. Anything else? No, I just want to thank the, uh, the listeners for hopping on the Flash F1 again and, and following us. Uh, a lot of those loyal listeners and our flashers uh, following us throughout the whole season, listening to our podcasts. It's been a, uh, you know, great doing all the post-race podcasts, the Fast pass, all the news and gossip, the special interviews. It's uh, been a really good learning, uh, you know, podcast and, and season for me. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I've learned a lot in doing uh, our very first podcast uh, and the demands it it, uh, it requires in terms of the material, the the relationship that we have, and uh, you know, talking in front of all these uh, listeners. That's awesome. I I echo all of your sentiments. <laughs> all right, guys, that's all we got. I'm going to bounce out of here. Peace. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. You have been a great audience. This is Sarah signing off at Flash F1 with Gil and Mark. <laughs>